Welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast, where we are creating conversations and communities that expose the kingdom of God. This is a New Room Network podcast. Here are your hosts, Carolyn Moore and Pierce Drake. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Art of Holiness podcast. I hope you're doing well. Carolyn, you're at my house. I'm here. I have spent the last four days playing and playing and playing with little Emmy Joe. So fun. And I've gotten to see Houston That's and right. begin to taste y'all's new life. Yes. And you have to speak tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, at our annual conference. And I told Claire this afternoon that you don't drink coffee anymore. But after the last few days of playing with Amy Joe, <laughs> you're going to need something um, to, uh, to is, keep you awake. She is a kind of coffee. She, she is, is. She is caffeinated. That girl is caffeinated. A hundred percent. percent. So all of our Methodist friends out there, we love you. We're praying for you. We know that uh, annual conference season is upon us. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're just praying as you enter. Of those spaces for wisdom, discernment, all that God is calling you to. And so, Carolyn, as we gather here today, uh, we've got a great episode with someone that I've read for a little while, did not know uh, the connection that you had with him. Um, So, so grateful that he was on the Art of Holiness. Tell us about Sean. Yeah, you know, we've tried with this series of interviews to focus a little more on the value of community. Mm -hmm. And that's what led us to Sean. Um, Sean Gladding was part of an intentional community in Texas, and then he moved to Lexington, Kentucky, where he became part of another intentional community in the MLK neighborhood of Lexington. Um, And he's also part of the larger 12-step community in Lexington. And he'll talk about all of these projects and ways of being in community during our conversation. What we hope you get out of all of this is that community is essential and is more than just going to church or even more than just being part of a small group. There's a lot. It can go so much deeper. Um, Sean is just a cool guy. <laughs> he describes his first book, which is called The Story of God, The Story of Us, as an attempt to tell the big story that unfolds in all the pages of the Bible. And I've got to tell you, it is a marvelous telling of the overarching narrative of the Bible. I I give it out all the time. I highly recommend it, and it it has been highly recommended by um, Relevant Magazine. Um, His second book, 10, Words of Life for an Addicted, Compulsive, Cynical, Divided, and Worn-Out Culture, uh, is a look at the Ten Commandments, also published by IVP. So there's so much to talk about with Sean Lestavin. Sean, it is great to have you with us. I'm so pleased. This is a conversation I have been looking forward to because you and I share so many. Well, you just do a lot of things that I'm really that, that really appeal to me. Your mm. your um your your time with your, or your season with intentional community. Your emphasis on spiritual formation. Uh, your uh, your your journey with the uh, with recovery and the steps. All stuff I love. But now, oh, and we've. My church has done the story of God, the story of us as a as a sermon series, and the whole church read it, and all the small groups, and we did all of that stuff. Really awesome, love, love, especially. I mean, the whole thing. But the title of your second book, Ten Words of Life for an Addicted, Compulsive, Cynical, Divided, and Worn Out Culture. Come on, friends, that's just a great title, and uh, the title alone should make you go get the book. But I, I you know, the, the thing that I have discovered that I love. I mean, even more, even more, even more than is, is that you love Mark, that you love Mark. (laughs) 
that Mark is your go-to book because Mark is my go-to book. And, uh, and you spent your, you said spent your pandemic so fruitfully putting your blog posts into podcast format and in a podcast called the naked man. And it's, it's the story of Mark told in, in kind of storytelling narrative form. Mm. I just love it, Sean. I love it. Um, and, and so I want to start just by, I, you know, the, the first chapter of Mark is the one that just gets me because it's just like a fireworks display. He skips all of the preliminaries and he just goes into get him baptized, call the disciples, call out some demons, heal a bunch of people, pray for a few minutes, go back out and heal another leper, all of that in the first chapter. I mean, that's just the first chapter, just a powerful, powerful book. And so what I, I'm saying all of this to say that that's clearly you have fallen in love with a book that has fallen in love with a supernatural God. So I want to know what you've learned about the supernatural God as you've led people through this book, um, as through the story and, and, and kind of through Mark's lens. Um, how did, how does that work for you? What have you learned? Well, thanks again for the invitation to be here, Carolyn. It's delightful to uh, spend some time with you today. And uh, if you are one of the uh, handful of people who have faithfully been listening to The Naked Man, I apologize for abandoning you about eight <laughs> months ago <laughs> uh, because uh, I uh, I got stuck. And so uh, I, I'm i not going to promise I'm going to pick up the project again soon, but uh, that is my intention. Well, I'm not to the end yet, so I figured. Oh, okay. Well, very good. We could have gone gone this whole podcast without me knowing that you were going to leave me hanging. But it's it's so cool. But it saves you. It saves you. It saves an angry text later. You know, that's right, Carolyn. It saves an angry text later. I I think. I think the people who are my regular listeners are so lovely. None of them have actually complained. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then i reached out to a couple about something completely undifferent last week I said hey uh, we're missing the naked man Are you ever going to do that again i was like oh yeah, right yeah yeah well it's it's really it's really good and and you're just you're 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 a layman scholar you know you're just you do a great job of of kind of balancing the the making it tellable but being very um very true to the text and true to the history so i'm coming back to my question um, you can't escape the supernatural God when you're walking through Mark. So yeah. talk to me about what that's been like for you as you've taught it, as you've listened to it. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I, I've, when I grew up in an evangelical um, dispensational uh, church in England. And so the the gift that I take away from my formative years as an adolescent uh, in that community is a love for scripture mm-hmm. and that, that um, there's so much that I have left behind from those days, but the love for scripture uh, uh, has, has never, never left. That's and, right. and that, that if I, that, that where I look for <laughs> decisions, how to live my life, it, 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 that that's where I go. That's the book. Mm-hmm. Um now, I've come to understand the book in lots of different ways and continue to grow in my understanding. Um, and the practice that really has shaped me more than any other is reading scripture in community with others, hmm. um, including people uh, who've never read the Bible, who have very different yeah. perspectives on spirituality, very different perspectives. Right now, I'm reading it with a youth group 
and there are a couple of kids in there who are not theists at all, have never read the Bible, uh, and again, hearing them encounter the text through storytelling and the questions that they're asking and the interest that it raises, um, that for me is like, oh, this is where the spirit is at work. Yeah. Um, that Rather than me sitting down with a sort of prescribed set of beliefs I think people ought to have in order to believe a right, <laughs> what, I, what I have is this book that's full of stories and just telling the stories and trusting that the spirit of God is present in the place where the story is being told, in the story itself, no matter who is listening, no matter who is doing the storytelling, um, is where I've seen so, so much beautiful things happen. Uh, and I anticipate that happening again in this, in this group, and especially in this one young, beautiful person's life. Yeah. Um, and so where, where I find the supernatural is not just in the pages of scripture, but in what happens when we read the scripture together and the the things that have happened in my life as a result of that the things that have happened in the life of other uh yeah the, yes the what we call miracles um are just uh I, I i don't even that doesn't that's not even a helpful word for me anymore it's like this is what god does um, mm. and because we don't see it happening very much we give it this label but um you know one of my favorite stories uh especially at weddings, is the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. And, uh, you know, for many years I did a lot of weddings for bikers. And so that was my sort of go-to story at this wedding where there'd be loads of people, many of whom probably didn't darken the door of a church very often. Um, and, uh, you know, this idea that uh, Jesus is the one who keeps the party going by turning all this water into wine. Uh, and you know and making the joke about they probably run out of wine because jesus shows up with his mates <laughs> uh, and that's the reason that's why mary comes and says what are you going to do about this you showed up with these 12 fishermen <laughs> and now there's no booze left you know um but the reality is every time uh, i drink the fruit of the vine whether it's fermented or not uh, that is that is the work of god in the world to transform the water that falls in rain they get soaked up through the roots of the grapevine to then swell that fruit. Like God is constantly turning water into wine. And um, it's just on this occasion, it just happened really quickly. Um, yeah. And so all for me, miracles are is the work of God in the world that is going on all the time, all around us. It's just sometimes it happens really quickly. And that's when we pay attention. And for mm. me, the, the miracle is that I'm, that should point me to looking for where God is at work in the world all the time, doing what God does to sustain the cosmos, to give us a life that should be generative and fruitful and delightful. Um, and the miracles <laughs> just point me to, towards the God who's doing that all the time and invites me to participate in that work. So when Jesus heals people, uh, yes, that's amazing. And so my question is, so what, how does God heal people in the world? And how do I get involved in that work to the degree that I can today? Um, yeah. And so uh, that, that, that for me is the, the, the supernatural is all around, like God's presence. Mm. There is no, you know, I think it's Wendell Berry who said there's no sacred and secular spaces in the world. There's just sacred and desecrated. You know, mm. there's just a place where God is being God. And then there's the places where we are acting in ways that deny what God wants for that space. Wow. Um, 
And so, uh, that, so for me, the, the, the supernatural now is like, it's just what it's life. Right. Um, uh, and you know, the, and you know, even though I am sojourning amongst the reformed tradition at the moment, uh, there is still this sense of provenient grace mm-hmm. in which, you know, uh, that God is always at work in the world long before I show up. And my work in the world is to always pay attention to the degree that I'm willing and, and to do so to what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what might look like the miraculous is actually just the very ordinary. It's just that you have to have eyes to see it. And I think that's why Jesus said that over and over, like him who has ears to hear. And I think it's like it's that, that, that she who has eyes to see and um, that, that, that the world is full of the presence of God that uh, and, and that 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 we might be impressed with the supernatural miracles, but really, you know, they can be almost be a distraction from paying attention to the presence of God around us all the time and in wow. us and through us. Yeah. Sean, I'm taking notes because um, I'm getting ready to preach in a few weeks on a series uh, called We Believe in Miracles. And so I'm just like, you're going to be quoted a lot. I'm going to let you know you're going to be quoted <laughs> a lot in the sermon. Um I want I'm, to ask say, I'm enjoying the fruit of the coffee bean at the moment, yes. the miracle of water falling on. Yes, I am with you, my friend. acidic soils and producing this delicious beverage. Yes, <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, hey, I want to ask you this. have a slightly different interpretation of miracles at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start. I want to. I want to start my question from here. Um, you know, on your website, I love, I love your website. I was looking at it, um, doing some research on you. And, and one of the, I think words are important, obviously. And as a writer and a thinker and as someone who speaks like publicly, uh, first words mean a lot. You know, I mean, we look at scripture, you know, in Genesis 1, 1, like, and John 1, 1, the connection of those. Uh, but you start, start off describing yourself as, and you've already done it a few times here as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Why is that the first word that grips your heart when you think of who you are as a beloved son? You you claim you claim storyteller. I think it's because uh, stories have shaped my life mm. in ways that abstract concepts, um, while helpful at times, really have not. Mm. And um, what I discovered, even as a as a teenager, like. I just think I'm really boring these days. But as a teenager, I was so much fun because I had all these stories to tell. Like, and people love being around me because, I mean, jokes. I could have been a stand-up comic, I think. I'm glad I'm not because uh, I don't think I'm that funny anymore. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the the I grew up hearing just snippets of the Bible. And it was mm. often these doctrines I had to believe. Uh, and then as I actually picked up the Bible for myself and read it, I'm like, well, th- but this, this book isn't full of abstract theological doctrine. It's full of stories. And if I was going to write a holy book, I probably would have dropped a lot of the characters that make their way into this. And I would have cleaned it up a lot. It would have been a lot more impressive. There'd have been a lot more miracles, you know, a lot fewer <laughs> Peters, you know, um, and yet this is what we have. And what I discover is uh, that whether we, whether we're aware of it or not, it is the stories that we listen to and give our attention to that shape our lives. And there are some really awful stories that have a lot more power over us than they should. Come on. And, and, um, 
And, you know, we, I talk a lot about myth and that myth is not some, something untrue. Myth is just a meaning-making story. It's how we make sense of the word. And in a preliterate society, we told stories to, to, to tell us who we were, to give us our identity. And so a lot of ways, the, the early parts of scripture are myth. You know, they are these meaning-making stories by which God's people made sense of their identity. Um, and nothing has changed. That's still, that's still the case. And so one of the questions I'm always intrigued for, for people to answer is, I say, here's, here's something that's going on right now around us. What, what myth do you think allows us just to accept that as if that's okay? And, and so recently I was, I was reading, you know, a news journal that we get delivered to the house every week. And one of the stories was that every hour in this country, a child is shot by a gun one way or another, struck by a bullet once an hour every day, 365 days a year. And that's just a bold fact. That is a statistic. Right. So the question is, what story do we tell about our life that's, that says that's acceptable? That we, that's just, you know, there is a story that lies under that statistic that says, because in, in the country where I was born, you know, we had a shooting in an elementary school and the people said, all right, no one can have guns anymore. <laughs> right. Because there were, there's a story we tell about who we are collectively. Um, and so this isn't, about, again, this isn't about right and wrong. This right. is simply saying, what stories do we tell wow. that for something here to happen, they react a very different way than something here to happen. And mm-hmm. um, so, so my, my, I think my calling, and, and it's not, I think it's probably true for all of us, is how do we tell a better story? How do we tell a truer story that leads to life, mm. uh, to leads to flourishing, and not just for humans, but for all of creation. Yeah. And uh, one one moment that will always be stick out in my mind for the importance of that was um, when we first moved back to Lexington oh, 12, 13 years ago, just down the street from us, uh, the vice mayor of Lexington lived, and his wife is a foodie. And they had a potluck in their home every every Monday night. And anyone could come. Open invitation. Once you've been, you can invite anyone else to come. And so Rona baked cornbread and everybody brought everything else. And every week you would have the regulars, but there would always be newcomers. There would always be. And it was always the most diverse, fascinating group of people. And I, I remember one time sitting on a couch with a plate of amazing food and this um, this person I hadn't seen before came and we got talking and we both have accents that obviously say we're not from this country originally. <laughs> uh, and she was a relatively newcomer, had joined the faculty at University of Kentucky. Um, and then she said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. And she said, oh, uh, what stories do you like to tell? And so I, I said, you know, I like to the story I love telling more than any is the story I think that the Christian scriptures are telling. And she goes, can you tell that story really quickly to me? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I absolutely. And, and hearing what she was interested in, which was uh, ecology, I chose to tell a story 
um, about the human calling to care for all of creation and the fact that we have failed um, and that, 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 that the, the hope that we have is ultimately new creation, that God is going to restore the world that God loves. And, you know, maybe it took three or four minutes and, and, she, and she said she was, that is a beautiful story. Why have I never heard that story from Christians before? And I said, well, tell me the story you've heard. And it was, oh, you know, the, the people are awful and God is mad at us and is going to send us. And I thought, this is it. Like, we have this beautiful story. Yes. And, and this is, I did learn this from the Wesleyans, I, that, that, that we are never the first witness. We are always yes. the second witness. The Holy Spirit is always at work in someone's life yep. long before I ever encounter them. And my work as a storyteller is not to come up with the story I want to tell this person, that the only story I think that they need to hear, but say, where are you at work in this person's life, God? And what part, where is their story intersecting with your story in this moment? And is there something I can contribute to make that story clearer for this person and help them fall in love with the person I have fallen in love with? Believing that you're already, that's your desire for this person. And rather than download this script, I think people need to know, trust the work of the spirit and say, and maybe, maybe what I have to do in that moment is say nothing. But believing that the spirit is speaking and my role is to listen and try and partner with what God is already doing rather than assume that I know what people need to hear, (laughs) which is easier. Yeah, yeah you are describing very much what I would consider to be a supernatural God, which a belief in a supernatural God. Your worldview depends on a God who is with us, who is living word. Mm-hmm. It's not a set of beliefs we assent to. It is it is a it is a supernatural power at work coming to bear on every single life. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, I'm thinking through a lot of different things, um, obviously, in that, um, you know, you talked about, I think, right before we got on, um, or I don't remember exactly where we hit record. So maybe you said this in the pre, maybe you said this right, we got started. But you're just love of scripture. You know, like, you can't tell a story that you don't know the story. Yeah, You can't tell a story. So I know you've done a lot of uh, spiritual direction work and, and, and spiritual disciplines work. How does that play into uh, the telling of story and walking people through story. Um, I'm not sure I entirely understand your question, Pierce. Sorry. So can you read? Good. That I can me? edit. I can edit. <laughs> <laughs> I can edit. Well, let me, let me, let me frame it in a different way. I'm going to shift it a little bit since we're editing it. Um, I know we want to talk to you, Sean, about intentional community. We have a lot of questions about that. Um, it's a beautiful stuff around that. As people, I think that's something that is at least um, Carolyn and I were, Carolyn just spent the week at our house up in Nashville helping us clean. It was a godsend um, because we're getting ready to move in a few weeks. In fact, our house goes on the market tomorrow. And so uh, we're in that stage, but we got to, to in the middle of her cleaning baseboards for us and being so kind, we got to talk a lot. And, and we talked about intentional community in the aspect that we think that a lot of people are being drawn back to that, or at least I do, my, my age group being drawn back to that. Um, that's part of my journey as well. Um, so I'd love to talk through like intentional community a little bit and story, like building the community through the telling of the story. 
Yeah. So um, I, uh, when I, I ended up in Kentucky because I went to Asbury Seminary. And I like to think I was there during some of the golden years of that institution with some of the best faculty, some of the best um, students. Uh, and from one of the things that drew me there was that someone I'd admired for a long, long time and who had shaped my life across oceans was, was at the school doing a PhD. And I'd visited and he said, hey, we're going to start an intentional community experiment. If you came, you could help and be part of that. So that was one of the big draws for me. And that community was called Communality. And it began in 1998. And uh, interestingly, Cal, and I don't know if you know this, but the when we first began meeting publicly, like just opening up the space to anyone, uh, John Smith, who was with uh, Greg Leffel, were the two people who started. He literally just opened up the Gospel of Mark at chapter one, verse one, and would just talk about it until he was done talking about it and then we'd close it and then we would discuss it. And then the next week he would open up and we'd pick up where he left. And so our, the beginning of that community was really grounded in the gospel of Mark. That was sort of Love that. out of which communality grew. Um, and especially um, Chad Meyer's work um, with the gospel of Mark and his commentary, Binding the Strong Man, um, which again is my the, the Naked Man podcast we talked about earlier is really my attempt to take Ched Meyer's really dense commentary and make it accessible through storytelling. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so the intention you know, we would read scripture mm-hmm. and we would live our life, we would go to school, we would do the things we were doing. Um, at that time, the, 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 the house where we were gathering together. Uh, before the area gentrified drastically um, around the corner was a bunch of pay-by-the-week flop houses. Um, we're just a couple of blocks from downtown. So, you know, it was, it was a bunch of seminary students, people who were living on the streets, uh, and then folk who are basically um, uh, one, one paycheck or one disability check away from being in that situation sitting together in a room, sharing a meal, listening to the gospel of Mark and figuring out what does it mean to love God and love our neighbor as ourself when our neighbors are very different from us. We were very different from the folk we were getting to know. Um, and so uh, that the story of Mark, the story Mark is telling of the life of Jesus was foundational in the way we shaped our community. But then also what we were doing, we would come back and say, Let's process. And that was one of the gifts that Greg and John and Mary and gave us was talk, let's process through what you did. Tell what stories did you, are you bringing to us this week? Yeah. And yeah. so this idea of praxis, you know, that we would go out, we would listen to the word. We would go live our life, try and be faithful to whatever we'd heard that week and then come back and say, so having done this, what, what are we learning? Hmm. And so it was, Literally, that's where the title of the book comes from. It's the story of God and it's the story of us. Like, and it's where yeah. the intersection of these two things come together. Uh, and what, what are we learning about what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Jesus this week in this mm. context, mm-hmm. paying a, a specific attention to this text? Um, and so uh, it was storytelling at the heart of all of this. And in fact, 
the 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 Bible study that became the book that Carolyn referenced. Um, you know, before it was a book, it was just our introductory Bible study at Mercy Street, this church I was part of in Houston. Um, but its very first origins were while I was in seminary, I had to do a, a what do you call it, supervised minister ministry segment. And my which best not, friend, which is not ministry for people who need to be supervised, otherwise they might run wild. It's actually, <laughs> right. it's actually a thing everybody does. They weren't picking on Sean, <laughs> noticing his dysfunctions. That's right. Although maybe that was part. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but my best friend had, had had planted this church in Houston called Mercy Street, which is mostly people in recovery from some kind of addiction or another or trying. And he said, hey, you have to do that class. Why don't you come down? I can be your supervising elder and uh, you can get the course credit you need and we can hang out for a summer in ministry. And so I had just taken this class with Mary Fisher, uh, New Testament theology, in which she had introduced me to this idea of the meta narrative of scripture that it that there is this big story unfolding. Um, and so when I went down to Houston, Matt said, okay, most of these folk uh, have been waiting for the other shoe to drop and they, it's not going to drop. So I think we could do our first Bible study. I think they trust us enough to say this yeah. book that they had really encountered only in a negative way, vast mm. majority of them. Um, and he said, so I want you to teach it. I want you to teach the whole Bible in eight weeks. Like, ha-ha. I said, no, I really want to try and do that. Yeah. And so we sketched out this eight week and, and I was calling Mary every week, getting her input. And it really was that experience that said, and I said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to tell this story with these kind of folk um, and see what happens. Because mm -hmm. what I saw happening, what I saw the spirit doing in the life of people, um, that, that first summer, which was uh, the summer of 2000, so 20 something years ago. I was like, oh, this is it. And yeah. I was and I was really lecturing. I was really not storytelling. I was sort of taking the chunks of the story and talking about it. Mm -hmm. Then when I came back, uh, communality, the group said, hey, that, that sounds like something we would enjoy, but we don't need lectures. Like, could you do it like actually do it as a story? And so that was the, the origins of what became the book that Carolyn referenced that came out in 2010, I think. Yeah. But if I can tell you one story that really, for me, if, if there was a moment, it was probably this that said, this is what I want to do. And it was um, the, the, week, uh, the week six of that summer when we, we got to the cross, the last week of Jesus' life. And so I'm talking about how to understand what Jesus was doing in Jerusalem that week, what, he was, what, what it meant, what he was doing in the temple um, why the powers that be, you know, he collided with them and why he ended up being crucified on a Roman cross. And then um, I showed the crucifixion scene from Zeffirelli's movie, Jesus of Nazareth, which is just very artistic, like the opposite of Mel Gibson's version. It's just very beautifully, artfully filmed. Uh, we watched that and then uh, we talked a little bit about it and then um, we were done. And every week, we had gone over to this little cafe a few blocks from the church and sat on the, on the patio so people could smoke and drink coffee until they kicked us out. And those, the conversations that happened there, the storytelling that happened there was just, just, just wonderful. Um, but this particular week, there was this guy, Dave, 
Um, and when I went in to get my coffee, he said, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. He's like, I need to talk to you now. Hmm. I said, okay. So I said, well, do you want to like sit in a booth and then we'll go out and join? He goes, yes. So, so I'll cut a long story short. But basically he said, so you're telling me that all the stuff we've been talking about that gets to this guy, Jesus, he, he, he died for me. Like, hmm. You know, that I'm part of this thing, right? Like, the, the, so he didn't just die because the Romans, you know, like he died because of people like me. So I, so I can like have a different life than the one I had. I'm yeah. like, yes. He's like, I am in, in. What have I got to do? What have I got to do? Wow. And, I, and I said, well, you basically, you could just say that to Jesus right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he and Dave had, I think at that time, I think he had six or seven weeks clean off of crack cocaine, which is the longest he'd ever gone. Um, and so he prayed this beautiful prayer, like this just raw, which Carolyn, I know you've heard time and time again. Um, and he said, all right, what do I do now? I'm like, well, how about we go out and you can tell people what just happened? So he went out and he said, I'm not sure I entirely understand. All I'm going to say is that my higher power is Jesus and I'm going to figure out what that means. <laughs> and so, you know, that after that night, I'm like, and then, you know, they all puppy piled on him and it was just this beautiful moment. And I'm riding my motorcycle back to the place I was staying. I'm like, this, this is it. This is what I want to do. Like, I want to tell this story with people like Dave. Yes. The next morning, I am rudely awakened by the phone, like the phones that used to sit by your bed, you know, that ring <laughs> really loudly. And I, and I, I look at the alarm clock. It's like seven seven in the morning and i pick it up. I was like, hello. He's like, Sean, this is Dave. What the hell have you done to me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know. What are you talking? Because I need to talk to you now. So we, <laughs> so I met him at an IHOP and I said, so what, what's going on? And he said, you know, last night was amazing. Like I, I felt something I've never felt in my life before. I felt like that, that there is a God, that, that I can trust this God, that this God is going to help me get clean and stay clean and live the life I want to live. And I was driving home and I was talking to Jesus and I suddenly wanted to use, like I just wanted to use so badly. And I'm like, no, that's not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to use, that's not who I am. He goes, so I decided I'm just going to go find a hooker and I'm just going to take care of this need like that. And he says, and I did. And you know what? It didn't work. Like I didn't enjoy it. It felt wrong. So what have you done to me? And I said, <laughs> I, Dave, I said, that that's the Holy Spirit right. that work in your life. And I literally kid you not. I said, but we don't get to that part of the story till next week. So you need- <laughs> <laughs> and that was the moment. That was the moment where I was like, oh, I've always thought that people had to know everything in order to become part of God's people. But you know what? They just have to know enough to say, I want to, even though I don't understand this, I want to be part of this. Yes. And I was like, oh, so that's it. That's the thing. They don't need, they don't need to get to chapter 12 of the story. They can just jump in at chapter three if they hear something that. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Mm. And that was really the transforming moment for me. And so in terms of intentional community, like it's, you know, the only way to really do that is to jump in at whatever level you're able to. And at some point you have to make the commitment. 
but you welcome people in to explore it. And that, that was, you know, what part of our work was to do. That was one of the reasons we moved back to Lexington was to be a more sort of formal presence to help all these younger folk who were interested in it, but didn't really understand what they were seeing to help shepherd them into what does it mean to follow Jesus in this particular expression, this kind of expression mm. of body of Christ. Yeah. Now, so Sean, um, also as part of this season of podcasts, we've interviewed Sandra Richter and Pierce side note, we need to put Sandra right before Sean. Oh my goodness. Just gave us, Sandra just gave us the old Testament version and you just gave us the new Testament version of the same exact Mm -hmm. lesson, which is God just wants to be with us. Yeah. And, And the story of God itself is supernatural. The story of God itself is transformational. Mm. And yeah. all he wants is to, 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 to weave us into his story. He wants mm. to be with us. Does that resonate? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, if you've paid much attention, you'll see that the Epic of Eden, those <laughs> Sandy's fingerprints are all over <laughs> the way I tell the story. I mean, you know, and so uh, as her, her writing and her teaching has had a huge influence on the way I tell the story without, without question. Um, yeah. This is beautiful to me. The fact that, that we've got now this kind of this old Testament mm-hmm. look at what God, God's constant calling, constant calling his people back to him and saying, you know, you're not, you're not in trouble. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And then, then we get to this new Testament, Jesus, who's saying the same thing. You're not in trouble. I just want to be with you. Mm, yeah. I, I want, you are the, I mean, I want, I want nothing else to satisfy except you. Right. That's it. Yeah. 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 And it, you know, we're, we're actually doing the story of God as a series in the Presbyterian church that I'm serving at the moment. Mm. And so uh, we're only on chapter two, um, which uh, we heard yesterday. Mm-hmm. But even now, it was the, one of the comments in, uh, from someone in the room says, well, that, that sounds like grace, what God just did there. <laughs> we're only in like Genesis. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, it sounds like it because, it, you know, it is. And when what we do really deserves death, what God does mm. is insist on life for us yes, and constantly wanting, yearning for us to have what we were created for in order that we can become who we were created to be. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, and, what is, what is, what does Jonah say? Jonah goes, I knew you would do this to God. Yeah. I knew you would be merciful. I knew you were slow to yeah. anger. I know what you're like. I exactly. know what you're like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not happy yeah. about it right now. Because it doesn't yeah. work in my in my world, but yeah. I know that you are slow to mercy or slow to anger and rebounding mercy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's Deuteronomy also choose life. You know, you yes. have these options before you choose life. So let me let me shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about the other thing that I'm passionate about that I know you have lots of experience with, and um, um, you and I both have had some experience with the twelve steps. Um, so I, I love the subtitle of your book, 10 Words of Life for an Addicted, Compulsive, Cynical, Divided, and Worn Out Culture. I need an amen from my audience right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, a, I mean, that's, that's 
us right now. That's us. Yeah. Um, and and I've I've discovered, and I want to hear your take on it, but um, I've discovered that the 12 steps only are only more relevant in a pandemic, only more relevant. Um, yeah. And I, they've come to life for me in a whole different way. I mean, step yeah. two, like, I don't know if I'll ever get out of February because I don't know if I'll ever get out of step two. You know, it's just like, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. It's like, Oh wait, there are so many things in my life that are just insane and I can't fix it. I can't make it happen. So, um, so what I want to ask you about is um, how do you understand the steps having been part of recovery for, for as long as you have, and also really majoring on spiritual formation. How do you understand the steps as a sanctifying agent? Yeah, and that, and that's the word that I think I would I would use um, uh-huh. when I'm talking to a Christian people who that's the language of our faith. Um, right. Uh, and I, just a disclaimer: I don't claim to be in recovery um, because even though the twelve steps were what. The, the vehicle with which God used to get my life back yeah. on track. Um, and, and I have been in recovery and uh, sponsored people had sponsors. Um, I, that's not how I choose to describe myself today because I'm not active in the sponsoring. Um, so I just, I want to make it very clear because uh, that is very important. Uh, and, but yeah, the 12 steps are still that's very useful. much. I also know that you continue to help people get there. So, yes. yeah. No, absolutely. And I still go to meetings. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just um, uh, I am not working the steps and leading pe- people through steps as, as a daily part of my life. Um, yeah. uh, but having said that, the 12 steps are in me now. Like this is this is, uh, this is the, the primary way I think that I um, understand my own the, the tools that I have to live as faithfully as I possibly can into my identity as the beloved child of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they help me tell the truth about all the things that pull me away from that identity uh, and all the ways that disconnect me from other people. Um, and so it's just been language that's been very helpful. And, uh, you know, I grew up in an evangelical in the evangelical tradition, a particular corner of the evangelical world, um, which was we talked a lot about justification, mm. um, and you know I think the evangelical tradition does the one, two, three, twelve steps really well. <laughs> you know we we admit we were sinners, come to believe that Jesus died so that uh, you know I don't have to go to hell and can go to heaven, and then I make a decision to turn my life over to God. And then I go right to 12 and then having been born again, I go tell other people about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not very good at the work of sanctification, which is steps four through 11, which right. is how do we actually live into this new identity? Um, and so often we just get stuck in, I was saved. And and it's not least because, you know, um, people pay a lot of attention to us before we get saved, but once we're saved, they move on to other people. And then suddenly we're like, Oh, Right now, what do I do? Like, this is the point in which I should be being discipled, but you've <laughs> you've moved on. You've moved on, and I'm, I'm uh, for, for, you know, and, and I I get it, um, but it, but it, I think that's a, sh- a, sh- a significant shortcoming. Um, uh, and so, what the twelve steps have done have given me language and practices to participate in my own sanctification. Mm. Um, that that this is how I partner with God in the work that God is doing in my life. 
um, which is supernatural. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but but also, and you know, again, that that language for me, it's, I still sometimes because super means above nature, mm -hmm. um, and I think that God works in in mm. us in because God, this is a God originated, God breathed, God sustained, God loved. You know that, that God is not above. God is here with us all the time. Yes. Uh, and so these these are just some tools that help me when I forget who I am, uh, remind me who I am because of the practices that they instill in me to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and in, during the pandemic, you know, you know, we have two teenagers in our home, our children. Um, and, you know, I, I vaguely remember being a teenager, but what I remember is, you know, my parents knew nothing. They just wanted to restrict me. And, you know, so when you have, peer groups and when you're out and about doing other stuff that's one thing but when you're locked the four of you into your house mm. and you're the only people you're interacting with for months and months and months <laughs> um you need to be able to uh take inventory <laughs> right and when we're wrong promptly admit it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and continue to make amends mm -hmm. uh yeah. on a daily basis yeah. because yeah all of us, you know, were, you know, because of, you know, and so I was like, oh, and we had language that was just natural. This was, and we could say, this is who we are. This is how we live. Yeah. Uh, and these tools have been very, very helpful in yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. The one thing that, so one thing that I, what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that, I mean, the steps are, are really good practical ways to kind of reroute your behavior so that you understand how to respond to life as it is, not as you would have it. Right. Um, but I, I, I think they also sit as, they also have the opportunity or just sanctification. Let's just talk about sanctification in general is, is really the reframing of your story as a child of God, right? Yes. Mm, yeah. 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 In fact, um, Matt, my best friend who started this church, uh, his PhD work, his dissertation his research was uh, we had um, uh, 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 a halfway house uh, where women, uh, the Santa, Mar Santa Maria hostel, where women could, um, the, at the time, it was the only halfway house in a treatment center slash halfway house in the state of Texas where women could keep their children with them while they were in treatment. And so they came to us um, and we had a good, solid partnership with them. And his research was like, so there are some women who we know from that who go on into long-term sobriety and there are others who don't. Is there anything we can learn about why, what, what is it about this group of people? Is there something I can look at to say, why is it that, is there something about them that leads them into the better chance for long-term sobriety than this group? And his conclusion in his dissertation was, it was the people that these women who were able to reframe their story were the ones who were able to maintain long-term sobriety, but the ones who kept living out of the narrative that they had been given or that they had developed struggled. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that, 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 that what the steps do, one of the things the steps can do is help us reframe our story, to re-understand ourselves, to say, oh, I do need a power greater than myself to do for me what I cannot do for myself. When the other narrative is like, you just got to try harder. Like you right. need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like it's like, or 
that how's that story working for you? That's Is right. You, you know, um, but it's but it's reinforced so fully through like a part of the American myth is that anyone can make it here. If you just work hard enough, you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and your parents are billionaires. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Um, we don't, <laughs> but, but that story is so woven into the fabric of this mm. culture uh, that, 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 it, that it, that it comes out in other ways. And so yeah. it's, it's saying, no, you know, it, you know, we do, we, all of us need a power greater than ourselves. Um, none of us are God. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and I think that that's one of the things, is the gifts that people in recovery bring to the church is that so often church folk have really, we don't need God. Like we're, mm. we're stable. We're, we're you know, like, uh, you know, uh, and then you're confronted. And that's what we found at Mercy Street is that we had people who, who, who said, I'm, I'm not an addict, but I, I want the relationship with God that these people mm. have. That's right. That's right. Um, stories I don't have that, you know, like, and I, don't, I want the vibrancy of life I see in them. I want, yeah. I don't, I've never felt as alive as they are, you know. And so I think that's the gift that the presence of people in recovery can bring to the church to say, oh, this is what a relationship can God can do in you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think one of the, not, not just to tweak the little things that aren't going quite right, but right. actually to, to be the source of the, yeah. you know, the enlivening force in your life to give you the life that you want. Yeah, that, that's right. really good. Tweaking versus transformation. Yeah. <laughs> Two different yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, this whole call from, you know, at least in the world that I'm living in right now, this whole call to like reach the next generation and love the next generation and, and, and disciple the next generation. Um, like to me, the thing that's missing right now, like the heart posture is there to do that. But what we need from the generations that have gone before us is to tell their story, right? It's to tell their story to the younger generation, going back to what you were talking about, Sean, at the very beginning, it's like, or, or at least what I was listening to is like, not just the doctrine and the four applicable, like practical points to take away from that story. Like we spent more time in the practical than we did in the story. And it's like, Jesus told stories, you know? And it's like, man, if we can get our older generation to start talking about the freedom they have experienced in the spirit, in the, in the love of Jesus, fellowshipping with God, man, that's going to be the thing that compels this next generation. As one of our streams that we talk about on this podcast is intergenerational encouragement, you know, like doing life together in community, but intergenerationally. And, uh, and I think we're missing, um, we're missing telling the stories that are sitting in the pews um, to our, to our new people and young people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, there's a line in the book 10 that I took from Ellsworth Callis, one of his, from his book on the Ten Commandments, if I remember, where he, sa- he says, you know, the, pa- the power of romantic movies is that it's easy to portray this high romantic moment in a film. He get, you know, with the, Okay, so it's like with a well, a well-toned thigh or something like that. He said, it's hard in a movie to portray the fidelity of 30 years of marriage in a moment. Um the 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 it's the long, slow work. Um, yeah. uh, and you know, one of the one of the practices we began in worship at Mercy Street was a time of celebrations where we said, What are we celebrating? We often stand up and say, What are our prayer concerns? But what are we celebrating? Right, and what we discovered was um, is that when when a couple gets up and say we're celebrating thirty years of marriage, 
And there'll be any number of couples in there who are on the verge of saying, do we want to keep doing this? Mm. And in in service to here, well, those people were able to do it. Maybe, maybe we can, and maybe we could even see if that just like, go get coffee with us. You know, like it's, it's, it is what you're saying, Pearson, but, but to do that, we have to, I think we have to create opportunities when the community gathers for people to hear those stories. And it doesn't have to be the whole story. It can just be saying we're celebrating 30 years of marriage. Well, there is a story that lies behind that, that that folk who are just starting out or even wondering about this need to hear. Um, And, uh, and it's the people who say, I've got 20 years sobriety. Well, the person with 20 days needs to know that it's possible Yes. That 20 days to become 20 years, you know? Um, and uh, I think that's what, what AA remembers that the church has forgotten is this, the power of testimony. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what happens is it's not like the testimony is magic. It's just like, Oh, they said something that I connected with. I want to go talk to them after the meeting. Yeah. And that's where the intergenerational. <laughs> yes. Thing yes. Happens. Right. Um, the challenge is I think in the church is that, the, 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 the challenge and the temptation is that older generations think that younger generations Christianity is going to look like theirs. Yes. And so discipleship is going to mean I'm going to help you become like, and that is never, never mm-hmm. been the case. Mm-hmm. And right. that is the hard work of intergenerational work. Right. Um, and that the, the starting point for me these days is not to assume I know what these young people need to know in order to be disciples in the way of Jesus. I just need to say, what are they passionate about? Like, how do I listen to their lives and say, what, what is, does God have anything to say about that? Because they are not passionate about building buildings. They're not passionate about balancing budgets and establishing um, foundations. And like what they care about is, right now in the conversations I'm having, especially with college students is questions of justice that they are seeing that life, the, the world they are being handed by the generations that have gone before is not working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, how do I say, okay, what if I'm listening to you as, as, as I'm on a generation or two on, what were my, what were my justice? What were the issues of justice that I've struggled with and been part of? And how can I help you, you know, with the thing? And because it's in that, it's in that commonality that that's where the spirit is at work. I find Hmm. And then all the other stuff sort of comes along the way. Um, That's but if really I show up expecting I know what these people need to know to be disciples of Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to alienate them immediately. Because they because at least in my experience, 20-somethings have no time for that. Yeah. At least the 20-somethings I'm around. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. But the story will never go out of style. The, no. The story and, and my story will never go out of style. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, those stories of transformation will never go out of style where, yeah. where, where the natural and the supernatural have intersected <laughs> yeah. and, and, and a life was changed that will never go out of style. I want you to hear, Sean, that um, I don't know how many years ago I first heard you talking about doing that at Mercy Street but I um, immediately incorporated it into what I was doing in my church. And uh, we st- two weeks ago, I just stood there and I said, I will stand here until someone has something good to say. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at my introverted service, it was probably misery, but at the extroverted service, it was <laughs> such a joy. And it was those exact stories. It was eight years sober and another year of marriage. And I'm, I, you know, I made it here this morning, Walker and all. And, yes. uh, you know, 
Well, um, at the church I'm serving now a couple of weeks ago, it goes, I, my, my first tooth fell out. Uh, that's the best. So you know, I, had, I had, a, had a young guy say, I'm making it through seventh grade. <laughs> and we all were like, listen, you have no idea just how profound that is because middle school may well be the worst part of your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly That's right. good. That's exactly right. What a pleasure. We could talk all day. This has been so good. I'm so grateful for your life, for your witness, for your wisdom, and uh, for everything that you brought into this conversation today. Thank you. And I'm praying blessing over you as you uh, just continue to go where God leads. Thank you. Tell us how we can find you and all the places we can find you right now. Oh, uh, I am. It's. I'm not really connected. Uh, <laughs> we can find you in Lexington. That's <laughs> the truth. Yeah, you can find me in Lexington. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my, my website yeah. is there, seanpadding.com. There you go. Um, I do believe that 10, the book you talked about a couple of times, Caroline, is like a book for this moment because yeah. it models the kind of respectful discourse between people who fundamentally disagree about things yes. that is sorely lacking. And it's out of print. So I have all of the remaining wow. stuff and I wrote a reader's guide. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, then drop me a line at sean.gladding at gmail.com. And uh, I'm happy to get those copies to you because I just want people to read it because right. I think I think it's and I'll I'll do you a great deal. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank so you. Good. Thank you so Thanks much. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's lovely to see you, Carolyn. And and Pierce, it's nice to meet you. Thanks again. Nice to meet you, Sean. A chance to be with you all today and talk about my favorite thing. Well, I don't know about you, um, but he is speaking my language in so many different ways. I think on one front, he's speaking my language around community, around intentionality, around community. I mean, we just talked about that last week on the podcast. Obviously, this was a different way of talking about it. Um, But one of the things I love that he talked about, obviously, was the story, the coming back to the power of it. I'm in a brand new context here in Houston. And so the people that I'm preaching to now don't know me and they Mm -hmm. don't know my story. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like talking about myself. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But in all of that... Uh, they need to know my story. Right. And so, and I love how he talked about it, the long, slow work right. of story. Yes. Not the quick, which takes me back. I mean, I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, Carolyn, but I was a youth pastor for 13 years. So all the analogies in my youth pastor brain yeah. of you can have a Hot Pocket meal in 30 seconds, but it's not going to fill you. It's right. not going to be nutritious. But right. that Crock-Pot meal that Grandma cooks overnight right. has a lot of flavor, has a lot of nutrition. Right. And that the whole business of the long, slow cook of a story wraps back around to the idea of community. You don't right. get the long, slow cook That's right. if you're not in community. That's right. So I'm curious, just um, at this point, we have, we have a couple of other folks who will be talking to us about community before this se- sure. uh, season is over, but... At this point, what would you say, Pierce, that you've learned about community that maybe you hadn't thought through all the way or it's it's been put to you differently this time around? Yeah, I think the intentionality of it, mm-hmm. like it's not going to just happen because you live next door to someone. Right. It's not just going to happen because your kids play ball together. Right. It's not just going to happen. Let me, let's, let's, let's like hit home a little bit. It's not just going to happen because uh, you're in a small group together as you said earlier, yeah. or a Bible study or right. the Sunday school class for 40 years. Right. And, and, and conversely, it doesn't have to not happen 
just because you don't like the person yeah. within you're in community with. In fact, you sure. need a few people like that. Yes. In order to make community real, there have right. to be because it's sort of an iron sharpens iron kind of thing. And and sometimes I've just I've discovered with the people with whom we're in community that that the ones who are in in some ways most abrasive are mm. are the they're like the doors you have to walk through in order to get to the deeper chambers of God's heart. Wow. Um, so, and, and so Sean, being in a neighborhood where, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of a mixed culture, right? um, they're really going into the, they're, 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 they're learning the deep end of community. It's very different from what we learned last week, uh, with Bob Garrett, you right. know, where, where that's a kind of intentional community where everybody's coming in very intentionally to being invited in after a season of, of discernment and they have to assent to a certain set of core values. Sean's kind of community is something completely different. Right. Uh, where you take who lives with you and you make community happen out of that. Right. Yeah. I think I think there's also a word I think something I've been thinking about a lot recently mm-hmm. is for pastors listening, especially United Methodist pastors or pastors that are in denominations that they move you, mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of process works. Mm-hmm. I grew up in that, mm-hmm. and we were told from our conference offices, from our district superintendents, mm-hmm. uh, not to do community deeply with the churches that you served yeah. because you were going to be gone in four years. Right. And so what happened was we protected ourselves from the hurt of losing, and the churches had over time done the same thing. Right. And so I think intentional community is some of the hardest work for pastors to do. Oh, yeah. Because for a lot of us, the system we're in, um, one, doesn't doesn't really set us up for it, doesn't teach us for it, but actually has spoken against it for a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just stay, you know, keep your arms distance. You can't be friends with the people that you're pastoring. Right. How many times have I, or did I hear that right. early on in my ministry? And it turns out that's just not right. It's yeah. not true. In fact, my, you know... Um, I mean, I think the people that you can have close community with can be the people, it can be the leaders in your church. 100%. If you've, if you've done it right, and if you've taught right, you know, the the value of accountability as part of community. So, yeah, I want to yeah. leave them with one thing, this, or a few, they had a lot. Leave them with yeah. one more thing. Do you have anything else? Nope, go. One more thing. I loved how he talked about it. He said, we do prayer concerns all the time at church, but we also do the art of celebrating. Yeah. What are we celebrating? So incorporate that yeah. in your community, whether that's over uh, a meal with a friend or that's you're leading a church or a small group or whatever your context is, a community is. Put that into it. We're always asking, what are you praying for? We need to do that. What are we celebrating? What are the, where are your glory sightings? Where are your glory sightings? Yep. And we will see you here next week on The Art of Holiness. This is a New World Network podcast.